They're pony things. What are those little dumb ponies? No, like they're, they're like they keep them at the zoo. Negative results are useful. All right, welcome back to Horse Talk. Dr. Yardley, we have Dr. Timko co-hosting yet again. We are sitting uh, in our sweltering offices this morning. The uh, I don't know if Ohio State forgot to pay their electric bill, but the air conditioning is not working today. It's only 7:23, and it is a balmy 80 degrees in this office. So we will uh, we'll get going. So. We had one question um, left over from our bleeding conversation, and Alyssa wrote, I recently read about others that give all their brow horses Lasix, as the majority of horses are bleeders, and it is not always found on a scope question. Can you give any feedback to this practice? I, uh, I wrote Alyssa back to ask if she had any more like resources of what they were doing. She did not respond, so I but figured people saw this so we could answer it. So, Dr. Timko, what do you think about not always being found on scope? Yeah, I mean, that's exactly right. There's a proportion of horses that you're not going to necessarily identify blood on your scope, just depending on maybe the timeline that you're scoping or if they don't actually have a, a lot of blood that they, you know, produce, you may not see it at the right time that you're scoping. So what we can do for those horses, if we still suspect it, is do a bronchoalveolar lavage where we pass a big long tube into the horse's trachea and do kind of a lavage with saline and look at those cells under the microscope to find evidence of, of old hemorrhage or red blood cells on that. And that's pretty easy to do. We can do that on the farm. Yeah, super easy. Yeah. I mean, it can be done. Amazing. Yeah. Two, two to three people and... That. I think the other um, thing that I wanted to bring up, what do you think about just giving Lasix blindly to all the horses? Yeah, I mean, again, she's correct that a large proportion of these horses are going to be bleeders and have evidence of bleeding, but Lasix is not necessarily a benign treatment. So there are side effects. It is a diuretic. They are losing fluid. They are losing electrolytes. If they have any underlying abnormalities with their kidney or heart function, it can be a, a dangerous drug to use. Yeah, they pee like 20 pounds, right? Mm -hmm. Like they pee a lot of water. It's a potassium-wasting diuretic. So yeah, you, it's, you would need to supplement with some electrolytes afterwards. Um, and I think one of the bigger issues, so in racehorses, they give it, well, they're not giving it as much as they used to, but they used to give it three to four hours before the race. When the horse would race, they would not see Lasix again for quite a while. What I worry about in the barrel horses is they're racing a couple times or oh, even on a weekend. Yeah, and like, so how often is safe to give this much Lasix? I, I don't know. Yeah, and I think it's going to be dependent on the horse and it, comorbidities that could affect it. And we would also, uh, at the racetrack, if it was really hot out, we would decrease the Lasix dosage. Cause yeah. we, and, and the dosage is important. The dosage on the bottle is 10 mils, which is a, that's mm -hmm. a whopping dose of Lasix. But at the racetrack, we'd give most of them five to three mils and we would see a difference uh, post-race. post, post race. So I understand the practice, but I don't necessarily know if I would just give every horse of mine Lasix if they didn't need it. Yeah. It seems like, I go ahead. Yeah, and we were talking earlier that, you know, there's other diseases that can look similar. So if you just assume that your horse is maybe gonna be a bleeder, they could have other things like inflammatory airway disease that, you know, is not gonna be affected by gerosamide at all. Yeah, just because your cough, your horse coughs at the end of its performance doesn't mean it's blood. Mm -hmm. It could be mucus, and that's where a BAL would be helpful because you could diagnose equine asthma. So if you were just saying, and I think this is something because they're gonna, uh, this has been my rant for the week, 
just because the clinical signs fit a disease doesn't mean it's that disease. I have two examples. One, I had a runny nose this week. Could it be allergies? Could it be COVID? I don't know. I tested myself for COVID. I did not have COVID, which is good. But like, just because you have a runny nose doesn't mean you automatically have COVID. And like another example I saw, like it made me upset because I feel bad for the client. The horse was diagnosed by a veterinarian of having EPM. They clearly did not listen to our podcasts. They pulled the horse's tail. The horse moved sideways. They called the horse weak and put it on EPM medicine. What do you think about that, Dr. Temko? You can see weakness with EPM. You're being so politically <laughs> correct, Dr. Temko. So a significant proportion of other diseases that are going to have that same clinical sign. Yes. A million diseases. Yeah. A million diseases. And even more horrible is one of their veterinarians suggested that they go get some animal feed, some bovine EPM treatment, uh, which could have killed their horse, right? Because uh, cattle take um, coccidiostats that increase growth in them, and that is very toxic to the horse's heart. Yeah, horses should not be fed ruminant feed for that reason. Or chicken feed. Or chicken feed. Very dangerous. If your veterinarian tells you that, you need a new veterinarian. I'm just going to be honest. You just need a new veterinarian. If they don't know that, we teach the students that in vet school. We teach the second years that. It's on boards, right? It's an easy board question, too. Enough about that, because that could go on for too long, and I'd probably say inappropriate things. And Anyways, um, so we want to talk about, because we talk about weakness. I think it's a good segue to muscle diseases in our, in our sport horses. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a laundry list of muscle diseases. If you want to just talk about muscle diseases, we're going to focus in on PSSM. Again, just because the horse has the clinical signs of something doesn't mean that's the disease it has, right? Yeah, and, and you know, I think people, you know, have heard a lot about horses tying up, but in general, that tends to be more of a clinical sign of an underlying muscle disorder. So horses can randomly kind of tie up and have this stiff, um, you know, appearance after hard intensity exercise, a lot of times there's these underlying conditions and what Dr. Yardley mentioned was PSSM1, there's PSSM2, there's also other diseases that we can kind of talk about either in this one podcast or another one um, called myofibrillar myopathy and recurrent exertional rhabdomyolysis, which is like a recurrent form of tying up. You know, these muscle diseases are ultimately broken down into multiple different diseases that we have to treat and diagnose differently. Yeah, I think that's important is diagnosing them differently and and some of the treatment. Like you're going to treat a horse that ties up differently than a horse with PSSM. Mm -hmm. And even type 1 and type 2 could be treated differently. Mm -hmm. And there are ways to diagnose it. And I'm not going to get into it now about a laboratory in Florida called Animal Genetics. But we will talk about them because we have some peer-reviewed studies that show maybe a blood test for PSSM type 2 is actually bullshit. I'm going to say it. There's no proof. There's no proof. All right. Going to move on from that. So we see our horse super, you ride the crap out of it. It's super stiff afterwards, right? And there's some danger with that, right? Mm -hmm. With kidney toxicity. That's kind of what you think of as your traditional tying up horse. We kind of think of those horses as like your weekend warriors or they don't do much during the week. They get them out and you work them really hard on the weekend. And after that really intense ride, they'll become really stiff, really, you know, tilted, not want to move. And that muscle breakdown can cause kidney damage. Because um, the enzymes in the muscle, the myoglobin, can be harmful to the kidney. That's kind of your traditional 
tying up after a yeah. hard hard work. Very traditional, yeah. And and the myoglobin urea is dangerous. It kills the kidneys. Yeah. So kidneys. that's you know, a disease that potentially you're gonna have to refer your horse into the hospital for if they have a really bad episode of tying up because they might end up in kidney failure if not on yeah. fluids. And you see that in uh, these CrossFit athletes and these, mm -hmm. some of these runners yeah. that aren't like mm -hmm. conditioned and they go do something and they tie up and yeah, run a marathon yeah. one weekend. <laughs> one weekend and you see it, uh, yeah. And it's it's very. I I met a guy one time that was doing some CrossFitting and he got really sick. Had to go to the hospital. He was yeah. in acute kidney failure. Mm -hmm. So our horses can do the same thing. The pigment myoglobin is not so good. And myoglobin, if you think about myoglobin, it's the red stuff in your steak, right? <laughs> When you want your when you want your steak cooked bloody, quote unquote bloody rare, which I think tastes better, that's myoglobin that's just coming out of the plate. If you think about it that way, Dark Timka is not super excited about that. Um, I have to say, I've not been eating a lot of steak recently. Prices are getting a little uh, expensive. I've uh, I've been me and my wife been buying more and more tofu of, of late. Tofu stayed the same in yeah. price for now. <laughs> I don't know why. It's going to go up, too. Demand so, increase. Yeah, it'll be a demand increase, the commodities with soybean. But anyways, I, yeah, you cook tofu, it tastes okay. Yeah, it's flavor. If you get if we get called out to a farm and they think your horse has some muscle disease, we're going to probably take some blood work. Yeah, so in order to diagnose some of these, you know, we're going to want to look at blood work and look at their muscle enzymes on blood work. So some of these diseases are going to have elevations in muscle enzymes like the traditional tying up that we just talked about. Other forms of PSSM or mus muscle diseases aren't going to have high elevations in muscle enzymes, so it's important for us to look at those, see the level of increase after exercise, and help us differentiate between certain diseases. And two, we forgot to mention in the quarter horse, HYPP. Mm -hmm. Like we still see that disease, and it looks a little different, but still a muscle disease. Mm -hmm. So, you know, Usually, like Dr. Yarling said, looks different than these, but some of these horses can be affected by more than one of these diseases. More muscle disease, which is why we like to screen them with the five-panel test mm -hmm. the Quarter Horse Association has come up with. But I've seen a lot of um, paint horses and unregistered horses, Appaloosas. That, Appaloosas, that they're breeding. I know this talks about PSSM, but they're breeding HYPP in them, and they know the stallion has it. We, how do we get HYPP? Well, we have to thank Mr. Impressive himself. He looked, he was a beautiful halter horse, right? And so he had bigger muscles, probably because he had HYPP, probably because they were firing constantly, so he had some growth. So. HYPP and PSSM in the quarter horse was accidentally bred into them because of the way they look. PSSM type 1 in the draft horse, or maybe even type 2, was accidental, right? If you think about the old plow horse or the old carriage horse that, you know, they would ride 40 miles a day, ride them for 8 hours a day, and how much did they feed that horse? Not very much. So it was a very useful genetic defect to have to store extra glycogen in their muscles when they weren't fed anything. You know, that is something to think about as to why we have that. So in the draft horses, it's a little different. In the quarter horses, uh, humans have, in fact, messed it up. Yeah, and I think yeah. that's a, an important point is there's different breeds affected by these diseases. So um, PSSM type 1, our quarter horses, specifically the halter and Western Pleasure lines of the quarter horses, as well as draft horses, Percherons and Belgians, are going to be the, the most prevalent horses to have the PSSM type 1. In the type 2 horses, we can see it in the rainers and the barrel horses. Yeah. It's so interesting. Also quarter horses, but tends to be higher in those 
more, you know, intense sporting quarter horses compared to the the halter horses with PSSM type one. I wonder how we how we did that by. We also <laughs> see it in the thoroughbreds and standard bred race horses. So yeah. we see a lot of PSSM type two in those. In ones. those horses, yeah, and then the diagnosis is going to be different than type one. So when people talk about like polysaccharide storage myopathy, like what what is a polysaccharide? So PSSM is at least for PSSM type 1, we found a genetic mutation. And this genetic mutation is in the glycogen synthase 1 gene. This gene becomes overactive. There is a mutation and it causes this overproduction of glycogen, which is the muscle storage form of sugar. When you ingest sugars, your insulin helps you to utilize these sugars in a positive way and store them in muscle for you to utilize later. And so the more sugar you eat, the more insulin you have the more glycogen synthase activation you have with this disease, the more glycogen you get in the muscles. So it basically, the, it can't shut itself off. It just continually puts mm-hmm. in glycogen in the, in, the, in the muscles. Yep, and you can see that in a muscle biopsy. You can see that these cells have an abnormally high level of glycogen in them. And that's what causes the muscles to break down, right? There's too mm-hmm. much glycogen in them. Yeah, they keep building up glycogen, but they're not necessarily able to utilize this glycogen. They kind of run out of strength and energy Mm -hmm. to keep working. So they can't break it down either once they put Mm -hmm. it in there? Is that another defect or is it just part of it? It's part of the same defect. There's a lot of changes in the way that they utilize the fatty acids and Mm -hmm. oxidation changes. So they might have it there, but it's not necessarily able for them to utilize. And that's kind of why we see their clinical signs show up within about five to ten minutes of work, um, that's kind of when their muscles are going to be needing to use this glycogen for exercise and energy. And after they've been working even just lightly for a few minutes, these horses will start to become a little bit stiff and maybe reluctant to move and just kind of poor performance after a short period of time. They could be lame, they could not be lame, but they're just kind of stiff. Whereas a, a tying up horse would be after riding. And completely reluctant yeah. to move. Yeah. And, you know, we can't have some acute tying up episodes with PSSM type 1, but we can also see it with them just kind of being a little bit low and seeming sore after a few minutes of work. And how is PSSM different than glycogen storage deficiency or GSD? So that's another. Um, genetic mutation that quarter horses have. So that disease, you know, we can chat about another <laughs> another quarter horse <laughs> another disease. topic. Maybe we can have a whole quarter horse quarter panel. horse issue, yeah. Um, but you know, they, they also are gonna store and utilize glycogen differently. So it's different than PSSM. Mm-hmm. So two different diseases. It's good good to know, and that's why we should kind of screen them for it, because you just can't decide which one is which, right? Yeah, they yeah. all have have similar clinical signs. A treatment could be slightly different mm-hmm. depending on what you do. I think we have a horse that has PSSM type 1 and we know they're having some issues with their muscling or their lack of moving forward. What's the best way to make a diagnosis? If the breed is a quarter horse, paint, Appaloosa or one of the draft breeds, then the, the best first line for that is to send out a hair sample for the genetic mutation. Um, those breeds are going to be more likely to have PSSM type 1, and the genetic mutation is the ultimate gold standard diagnosis for that type of, of muscle disease. Can we send out a muscle biopsy too? Or? We can. So you can either do it at the same time, or if they come back negative on the hair sample, then you can switch to the muscle biopsy next. 
but I couldn't make the diagnosis just on our uh, muscle enzymes, right? No, some horses will have elevations, but not all of them will be that significant. So if the client's going into their my chart for their horse, what muscle enzymes <laughs> would they be looking at? The two main ones that go up are going to be AST and CK. CK is more muscle specific. AST goes up with other diseases like liver disease, but those are going to be our, our ones that go up after exercise and after. AST goes up fairly quickly, but comes down over over time, right? Yeah, so we might, you know, if it's been a few days since the tying up event or, you know, suspected PSSM1 event, then not see an elevation in CK anymore, but you could still have that lingering elevation in AST. Excellent. Called out, we're going to do just a blood test alone. What happens if you want to type or test for type 2? Yeah, so sometimes, you know, we just mentioned that quarter horses can be affected by both forms. If you only want to have one farm call and one visit to kind of diagnose both things, then we can collect that hair sample, but we can also do a muscle biopsy. That's a super easy procedure. The horses handle it really well. We go in the big semi-membranosis muscle in the back right next to their tail, kind of their hamstring area, and we take a scalpel blade, make an incision. It's not very big, and take out this little cube of muscle to send off for testing. And they heal, those heal within, you know, when as soon as you take the sutures out, that horse can go back yeah. to work. 10 to 14 days the sutures stay in, and then after that they're they're good to go. And it's very cosmetic. It doesn't look horrible. No, I, I've done quite a few, and I'd have to say most of them you'll never know that they even had it done. So then we're going to send that off to a laboratory. Mm -hmm. There's a specific laboratory we'd like to send it to. Uh, Dr. Valberg? Yeah, yeah, Dr. Valberg. She's great. She's at Michigan State University. She used to be at Minnesota. Mm -hmm. She moved. Maybe she got some more money. I don't know. She's she's pretty uh, pretty smart woman. I've never met her. I've read a lot of her papers. Uh, 
She's a veterinarian. She's boarded in internal medicine. She's boarded in equine rehabilitation. And she has a PhD. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of letters. And I'm pretty sure she's looked at every horse muscle biopsy in the country. So if yeah. I'm going to send my muscle biopsy somewhere, it's going to be for her to look at. Yeah. So what is she going to do when she gets her muscle biopsy? How does she di- make the diagnosis? So they, they utilize those muscle biopsies and they make slides out of them and they have very special staining procedures to do that they can stain for these markers for these different diseases look at this muscle under the microscope and be able to tell, you know, is there an abnormal amount of glycogen? Is this glycogen just stored in abnormal places? So they can differentiate a lot of these different types of diseases based on the staining of the muscle. That's going to be the only way mm-hmm. to diagnose it. Only way for PSSM type 2, since there is no genetic mutation for that to look at. So Or that we know of. That we know of. There probably is, or there's going to be a combination of things to look at. But at this moment, muscle biopsy is the only way for that type. There is a laboratory, Equine Genetics, equinegenetics.us, that claims to be able to test, oh, they're in Tallahassee on Capitol Circle. Uh, everything weird comes out of Florida. <laughs> Our EPM lab's out of Florida. This genetic lab's out of Florida. I don't know. People tell me all the time, veterinarians, clients, that they send their horse's hair sample to this laboratory. In this laboratory, they do other things too. They do HYPP testing. They do color index testing. I'm sure that those are probably pretty reasonable tests. We They're well known in the horse genomic mm-hmm. sequences. Why don't we just talk for a second? Like when you do a genetic test, like how does it actually work? We go down to like the cellular DNA level. So we have DNA and we find a primer. Mm-hmm. And the primer is, it just... It's going to basically bind to a certain section and find a certain section of your DNA, like a marker gene. Okay. So we have our primer. You can buy the primers on the internet. Mm-hmm. And then the primer goes into that part of the DNA, they pull it apart, it sticks to it, mm-hmm. and then we replicate on top of that, mm-hmm. right? We send another gene sequence in, and then it, c- it continues to make it, and we can find the gene. I think that's mm-hmm. the best, right? A good way of how they yeah. do it. This lab has claims, can test for it, because they're using human genes sequencing for a, for this disease. And in the literature, I don't think that's what got backed up, is it? No, so I mean, we can find a lot of genetic mutations, but that doesn't necessarily mean that that's going to be the cause of a disease. So just because you can see a genetic mutation in a horse that has a disease doesn't mean that that's that's the cause. And in these genes specifically, they've also found these genes in a lot of healthy horses that are not diagnosed with these diseases. So it's just a common genetic mutation. You're talking about the P the P1s or P2s. And so Valberg, not happy with this laboratory, shall we say, because you can see it in her writings. She has some peer-reviewed studies. Peer-reviewed study means that she wrote a paper up with a bunch of authors. That paper then got sent blinded. So blinded, like people don't know what it is. They read the paper, redo the statistics. And in her paper, she actually, because she knew this would be controversial, she sent her data to three other universities and her statistics to three other universities to confirm what she was seeing was right. And she determined for the P1 that she took control horses, 57% of the control horses had P1 genes. The PSSM type 2 quarter horses that she had previously diagnosed in her lab, 61% of them had the gene. That's not statistically different. So 50, 
you would misdiagnose over 57% yeah. of horses. And it crossed over into Arabians and warm bloods too. So, you know, quarter horses, Arabians, warm bloods, the ones that are most likely affected by these, these genes are not markers at all, at all. So if you have a test from Animal Genetics Laboratory, there is a lot of data to say that is is not accurate. Could be a completely healthy horse. Because <laughs> she even went back in an earlier 2020 study. So she went even further enough and she went to the Priswalski which is kind of a horse, mm -hmm. E, and they had, 50% of them had P1 also. Mm -hmm. 21 and Me or whatever those yeah. online things are, we have, we can find a ton of genes. It doesn't mean you're going to get the disease. Mm -hmm. It doesn't even mean you're at risk for the disease. So, again, I would say this laboratory is, is, is no better than 21 and Me. I mean, I, I don't know. It seems mm -hmm. to me that if you're spending your money on this and you think you have a horse that has, has this disease, you've just wasted your money. And the muscle biopsy is going to be pretty much the same price as what they're charging for these. Yeah, and it's easy to do and it's diagnostic. Mm -hmm. Yes, this is slightly easier because you can pull the hair and mail it yourself. This is, this is not good science. This is bad science. So um, it's not peer-reviewed and if this company wants to, um, you know, write me a cease and desist letter, please do because um, I will fire back the two papers that are published against you. This is why we have to be careful. Like people say, we tell our students all the time, like, what is your source? Like a student will ask students questions and they'll be like, blah, 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 blah. And you're like, what is your source? Like Wikipedia. I'm like, is that a good source? No. And so even with this website, the website looks nice. Like they it sound, looks convincing. It looks very convincing. There's yeah. no peer-reviewed journals on there, though, that they have proof to back up. Yes, they've never, they've never done a study to test it. This is not the way science is done. This makes me angry. I don't get angry a lot, but this is just bad science. I think it's taking advantage of people. Taking people's money. Taking people's money. Will you have anything else to add about PSSM? So, I mean, PSSM 1 versus 2. Um, you know, we mentioned about the genetic testing for one. If we have a standard bred, warm blood, Arabian, we shouldn't even bother sending out that genetic test. We should pretty much just jump to the muscle biopsy because they're likely to not have PSSM type 1. Um, so those horses, we're going to go straight to that muscle biopsy. And the muscle biopsy, say you didn't do the genetic test, even if they had pieces some type 1, we can still make the diagnosis on the muscle biopsy. Most of the time, yeah. yeah. You're going to see it. Um, they just like to also have that con confirmatory gene. I mean, that's the way you diagnose it, right? If you don't have type yeah. 1, the gene, then you're type 2. And or, the way they kind of discovered type 2 was that they used to diagnose all these horses with PSSM1, but then a percentage of those old diagnoses didn't have the gene, and that's when they discovered the PSSM type 2. So you're saying science went forward mm -hmm. and kept moving? Changed what they thought. But oh my God, I didn't <laughs> think we could ever change what we knew. That's, that's confusing to me. No, that is science. Mm -hmm. Science continually moves forward. You keep asking questions. And when you run out of questions, you retire. But you have to ask questions. Otherwise, that is the scientific process, right? Even here at OSU, we debate things, mm -hmm. right? And, and or we do more research or we get some more ideas about it. Let's wrap it up. It is, uh, we both have meetings to get to. Overall, your horse you think has PSSM, has some weird gait abnormalities. Probably should do a lameness exam on it also to see if that's a problem. Lameness, neuro, muscle disease, they all yeah. kind of go together. So a good exam is going to help differentiate these different diseases. Not just a tail pull. Not, not just a tail not pull. Just part a, of it. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's part of it. 
part of another hour-long process. And then if we are suspecting muscle diseases, we could, and we'll, we'll probably do another podcast about the other muscle diseases, but if we're thinking, trying to hone down this PSSM type 1 or 2, so maybe if you're a barrel horse or, uh, you know, and you have some, you know, lineage, and it is genetic, right? It's mm-hmm. passed through lineages, so yeah. they do know that there are horses that, like, other stallions out there that pass these genes on. Thinking about it, you should probably should just do the muscle biopsy and and be done. So take, you know, find a time in your calendar of like 10 days where you're not gonna, you can give the horse some time off, maybe right before you go on vacation and do a muscle biopsy. Yeah, and then based on that, we can come up with an exercise and diet plan to yeah. kind of get your horse being as effective as they can with these diseases. Yeah, because it looks like in Valberg's research, type 1 versus type 2 are, can be different feeds. A little bit different. A lot of times we're going to treat them fairly similar, but it's you need to know you know which one it is so you can kind of make those minor adjustments for each one. Yeah. Well, Dr. Timko, thank you for sharing your morning with me. Um, remind everyone, I don't know when this podcast will drop, so either the Belmont race will have run or... We will know who the winner is of the Belmont, unknown at this point, depending uh, when we can get this podcast um, published. But uh, thanks, everyone, for listening, and please write on our Facebook page um, if you have any questions about this. I know this could be controversial because I know a lot of people are using these labs. Um, please fire away. Send the hate email in on genetics. If you plan to sue us, uh, just please email the... Uh, we're happy to come out and do muscle biopsies. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we're happy to do muscle biopsies. The cost, like we said, is the same as animal genetic as like these tests and you get an actual diagnosis and here's the kicker that people don't understand the horse might not have the disease Mm -hmm. and then it's another disease and and that is something to think about when we we know we try you know and especially in this time with inflation and things are getting expensive like we're not trying to steal your money from you we're trying to make a diagnosis and we're going in a logical procedure and sometimes it's negative and we have to accept that it's negative your horse which is a good answer which is a good answer you don't want your horse to have this disease negative results are useful negative results are useful i think that is that is a take-home message we're going to end there negative results are useful thank you